Richland Creek, would you give praise to the Lord one more time and thanks to our worship team leading us today. Appreciate a choir today leading us in worship and hearing all those voices as well as your voices singing there as a church. You know, some weeks I just, I just need to gather and sing with the church. My heart needs it. My heart needs to be here to sing the praises of the Lord. Today was one of those days that I just needed to be with the body to sing and so thankful for it. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word with you today, would you turn to Genesis chapter 29? I want to say good morning to all of you and bienvenidos hermanos uh, la casa de Dios. So thankful uh, for those that are here and as well uh, each week as the service is translated into Spanish. And I want to say welcome to all of you. Like I said earlier, if you're a guest, we're thankful you're here to worship with us. Now, I want to mention a couple matters of prayer for you. First of all, I want to invite you to pray with us tonight at 6 o'clock here in this room. We're going to spend a few moments in intercessory prayer, praying for others and pray, being prayed over. And so uh, we would love to have you back here at six o'clock tonight and so that we might be able to pray for other people. Part of what we do is we intercede to God on behalf of others. When we pray, we're praying for someone else. We're gonna spend time doing that tonight as well as have a moment with our pastors and have a moment if you would like to be prayed over, to have somebody pray for you, to intercede to God on your behalf. There'll be a time for us to do that as well tonight as we gather as a church for prayer. Six o'clock tonight in this room. Love to see many of you here for that. Also want to mention to you to be in prayer. We have a mission team that is leaving to go to Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, they leave out. Pastor Cameron Wagner is leading that team. They'll be there working with Hope Church Bingham, which is a new church plant. It was just started uh, a couple years ago. And so we want to pray for them as they go there to, to this uh, lost region of the world, where particularly the neighborhood they're in uh, is only 0.2% of that entire area uh, professes faith in Christ. And so it's going to be a very dark place they'll be taking the gospel to. So just, if I would ask you as a church, uh, maybe you're not going on a mission trip for this year or thinking about missions. Part of our role is to pray for those who are on mission with the gospel. So please pray for this team. Uh, pray for the Hope Church Bingham. The, we partner with them as well as that the Lord would use them to share the gospel. And as they go, that he would keep them safe and healthy as they do that. So be, be in prayer for this team that's going to Scotland. Now, if you have your copy of God's Word open to Genesis chapter 29, would you please stand in honor of the reading of his word? As you stand, we're, today we're going to be in this text of, of Jacob. Now, to, to recap a little bit before we jump to this moment, Jacob, the brother of Esau, has been, had to flee his family. Because of his lies, he's, he's had to get on the road and leave town because Esau wants to kill it. He had a unique night in chapter 28 where the Lord gives him this vision of himself at this ladder with angels coming up and down it. It was this encouraging vision. And now as he travels along his way, we pick up in chapter 29, verse 1, the Word of God says, Then Jacob went on his journey and he came to the land of the people of the east, as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered, and the stone on the well's mouth was large. Now, when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. They would put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. 
So Jacob says to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. Is is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water those sheep. Go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then Then we will water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near, he rolled the stone from the well's mouth, he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, and then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we ask you today to help us walk every single day in faith. Lord, even as we go through the struggles of this life, help us to see those struggles as a means of growing us closer to your image and to you. For we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you had an encounter with God that just changed who you are? Most of you, if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you can remember moments where your life was completely altered by a moment with the Lord. Might have been at a church service or could have been at a youth camp or could have been at a retreat or, or maybe it was just sitting with an individual and praying or a pastor or a friend. But you remember times where an encounter with God really brought about fresh wind into your walk with him. Maybe it was the first time you met him or, or even after that as believers, there are times we experience the Lord in new ways. Jacob in the Bible here in chapter 28, right before this one, has had that kind of moment with the Lord. He had never met with him before this. He he even called him your God when he spoke to his father. And now in chapter 28, he had met the Lord. He'd had a vision of him sitting on the top of this ladder with angels coming in and out. He had heard from the Lord. And so when he wakes up in chapter 29, even though he's going to a place he doesn't know, He's got a little pep in his step today. Look at the first few verses, first few words of chapter 29, verse 1. Look what it says. It says, then Jacob went on his journey. And our English doesn't carry this through as well. It actually, the the Hebrew literally reads, he lifted up his feet. It's as if he went through this dark night at Bethel, and now he wakes up the next day, lifts up his feet, he kicks up his heels, and he steps into action. He's met with the Lord, and so he wakes up this next day ready to take on the world with a fresh vision of the Lord. Have you ever had that experience in life? You met with the Lord at a camp or Sunday morning. Maybe it's happened to you in the past few months. You came to church, and the Lord met with the Lord, and you walked into Monday, 
And man, it wasn't what you thought it would be. You know, that's what happens to Jacob here. Look at the rest of verse 1. The Bible alludes to it. It says, then Jacob went on his journey, and then it says he came to the land of the people. It's vague. He doesn't know where he's at. Doesn't know where he's going. And it's the people of the, if you know your Genesis, of the east. The east is never a good place to be in Genesis. You leave the Garden of Eden, you head to the east. And anytime somebody heads to the east, it's alluding to danger and exile. And so out of this fresh vision of chapter of God in chapter 28, here Jacob steps into this dark turn of his life. What's ahead of him is not good. Chapter 29 is going to be difficult for him. Just like I, it's good he doesn't know. Sometimes I think it's good the Lord didn't tell me what was going to happen today, right? I might not have got out of bed if I knew what was ahead of today. But what we know as believers is that every day I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what God's going to do to get me through the day, right? So that's what Jacob's got. He wakes up knowing this angel-freighted ladder of God is going to carry him through the day. But as Bruce Waltke puts it, he says, sometimes the angel-freighted ladder of God that he had this vision of, sometimes it exalts you, it picks you up, but sometimes it disciplines you in your sin. That is the school that Jacob is entering. That's the school many of us find ourselves in today. We are, we are learning that we are always dependent on the Lord. That, that's what we're always learning, right? We, every single moment, every single breath of every day, we're always dependent upon him. And just because Jacob saw this great vision of God in 28 doesn't mean that he's going to get it all right in 29. In fact, he doesn't do so well in this next chapter because he's still got some lessons to learn. Anybody in this boat today? You've seen the Lord, but you still got some lessons to learn. So here's the lessons. Here's the first one. What should we remember? We should remember the power comes from the Lord. We don't trust our own abilities every day. We trust the Lord's abilities. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget that the power comes from him. And it's easy to do. It's easy after you've encountered the Lord to wake up tomorrow and think, man, I've got to start doing this thing again. But every single day is a lesson in trusting the Lord. Now let's, let's walk through this text with Jacob. It's one he's going to learn. He now approaches here in this chapter, this new land. He doesn't know where he's at. As he comes up, the first thing he sees is a well. It's like an oasis in the middle of a desert, this hope of water that he finds. And these next few verses are going to be just one afternoon and one evening, just a short snapshot of time. But what I'd like to do with this text is in your mind, compare it to another one. It's going to sound eerily similar to something that just happened a few chapters before. But let's first look at this one. There are three flocks of sheep at this well. If you heard when I read through it a moment ago, the, the Bible described this well had a stone over top of it. What did it say about that stone? Verse two, you'll see it there. It said the stone was large. It's making a point that this is a big stone. 
And in verse 3, you'll see the shepherds are waiting to take the stone off because it's going to take quite a few of them to move this large stone. And so Jacob starts talking to these lazy shepherds. He's like, he's frustrated with them. In his mind, you should have already watered these sheep. And he says, you should just, you should already be out in the field. I don't know what y'all are doing sitting around right here. And then verse four, we pick up and what's a, it's a unique exchange. It's as if they don't want to talk to it. Verse four, look at it with me. Look at it with me. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? He doesn't even know where he's at. He has to ask these guys where they're from. So they said, we are from Haran. Notice the short answer. So he says to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? Nahor? They, so they said, we know him. There's not much detail here, is there? Like asking a teenager how his day went, right? Just a grunt is all he's getting. So he says to them, is it well with him? What does he say? It is well. They, they don't want to talk. And in fact, you see that they got a little opportunity here at the end. They're like, look, look, and see, Rachel, his daughter's coming for the sheep. They're like, hey, you go talk to her. It's as if these guys don't want to talk to him. And here he's at this moment where he's about to meet, Jacob is going to meet his future wife, Rebecca. Now, if you know Genesis well, if you rewind back to about six weeks ago, we were in Genesis chapter 24. We actually went over this text as a church. But if you have a memory in here, Genesis 24, there's another story that's eerily similar to this. Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, had decided that his son Isaac needed a spouse. So what he did is he, he took his servant and he said, I want you to travel. And he's going to, Abraham's going to send his servant from the same place Jacob comes from. And he sends him up to this same region that Jacob has gone to. And eerily similar, after the same journey, Jacob arrives at the same place the servant arrived at, a well. I can only imagine, as Jacob makes this journey up here, he's standing at this well, this lady comes up, it has to ring a bell. You can't imagine, Jacob's heard this story if you're a kid in this room, have you heard those stories your parents have told a few times over and over again? You're at the point, you're like, I could tell this story now for them. They've told me about how they met so many times, right? You can imagine that if the Bible recorded the story of how Isaac was met with Rebecca, you think they told their kids the story a few times. Jacob would have known this story. So as he walks up to this well, in his ears rings the story about how his parents would have been connected. But Jacob finds himself in this exact same spot. And I believe this is what Moses is doing here. It's almost as if he's comparing the two. But there's a difference. When you see the servant in 24, when he gets there, guess what he does? He prays. He pauses he examines to see if she's the right one. Even when she does the right thing, he sits back to watch God work. And even after God connects them at the end of it all, the servant worships God and thanks him for what he did. Jacob is having none of that. He, he's on to action. And in many ways, he jumps right to it. He looks at the shepherds, he says, why aren't you, why aren't you feeding these sheep? He gets frustrated with them. And look at verse 9. 
While he was still speaking with, with them, the shepherds, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. So here she arrives, just like uh, Re- Rebecca had arrived in this moment. But Jacob doesn't sit quietly. Look at verse 10. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, I mean, as soon, like he's got to do something. He saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob came near, and don't blow past this because they made a point to make this is difficult. He rolled the stone from the well, well's mouth. He watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. He rolled that stone away. He's, first of all, he's a strong guy, right? We get the idea. Jacob's a big dude. But on top of that, he's so exuberant to do this himself. He's like, I mean, you imagine he's like the show off guy, right? You know, look at my strength here, Rachel. He's, he, he wants to do this himself. It's almost as if his exuberance has run right past the work of the Lord. He even, verse 11, he, he, he just runs and kisses her. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. So Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Now, just to be clear here, he is not, this is probably not a romantic kiss. It sounds like this guy's really rolling up as macho man, is it not? But, but it's not. He, he's going to kiss Laban too as a family kind of greeting. So it's, it's not this kind of uh, romantic kiss. But what we get in 29 and 24 is a comparison where we see Jacob does not pray. He does not pause to discern the will of God. He does not stop to praise God after he has provided this moment. He, he, he just does. There's no sense of the trust of God in this scenario. The ladder of angels is just in the background, and here he is rolling. One commentator put it this way. There are two marriages that begin in Genesis 24 and 29. They begin differently. They both begin at a well. They begin differently, and they end differently. You, you see this beautiful moment where, where in, in Genesis 24, Rebecca comes back, and they get they get married and they're in love and it's a wonderful, peaceful scene. That is not what's about to happen in 29. Jacob is about to go through a mess with two different sisters, right? They're going to be plagued with rivalry and deception. So let's take all that. Here, here's the warning. Don't forget where the power comes from. I don't care if you have had a fresh encounter with God yesterday, when you wake up today, you need him just as much as you needed him yesterday. You need him for everything that sits in front of you today. Even though you don't know what it is, you need him in every moment. Let me illustrate it this way. Part of the joys of driving a vehicle is, is filling it up with gas. It's been a real joy lately, has it not? Right? Now, of those in this room, we all have different, different moments that we feel as if the car needs to be filled up. Some of us, when it crosses half a tank, the safe one's in the room, right? You like everything safe. 
Don't, don't ever take a risk. When it crosses half of a tank, it's time to fill that car back up because you don't know what tomorrow holds, do you? Then there's the reasonable ones, I feel like, in this room. This is where I would... When you get right below a quarter of a tank, it seems like it's about time. Go fill up your gas tank. I think that's reasonable. Then there are the others. The risk takers in life. Those who live on the edge, right? Empty and the gaslight are just suggestions. <laughs> and you know, my, my car does this. It tells you how many miles are left. Now, I know. I know how manufacturers work. I know that zero isn't actually zero. But I don't know how many miles past that it is. But some of you do, don't you? <laughs> you know exactly how many miles you can get out of it. But here's one thing we know. No matter when you stop, every single car is always on a drive to get back to a gas station at some point. You can't drive that car forever. Even if it's electric, you still got to plug it up, right? That car was made to be dependent upon a power that's outside of itself. And you and I were made to be dependent on a power that is outside of ourselves. And maybe last week or last month or last year, you had an encounter with the Lord. And you walked out of that and you felt the cold, hard realities of tomorrow... And here's the reminder, is that you need God just as much today as you needed him yesterday. I've said this before, but we can grow a lot of ways as a Christian, but you will never, you will never grow out of your dependence on the Spirit of God and the work of God in your life. That will never decrease Growing as a Christian isn't growing stronger apart from God. Growing as a Christian is growing stronger with God. So I don't know where you sit today in your walk with him, but are you, are you walking, believing that you need him right now, today? The challenges you have in this moment, how are you walking with him? I, I'm struck by this. That we are a people that goes from God fulfilling one promise after another promise after another promise. And, and every day you're on this earth, you're waiting on another promise for him to fulfill tomorrow. Even if he did something great yesterday, him doing great things is not over. There is tomorrow you must be trusting what he's going to do. But he's not just working in your everyday and the power of life. But Jacob's still got a little bit more to learn. In fact, he's in the school of the Lord. And here's the second thing I want you to remember is remember that you are still in school. I know you may have graduated a long time ago from school here on this earth, but I promise you, you have not graduated from learning the Lord's lessons in your life. I know some of you are a little older than me in this room. But as long as you draw a breath on this earth, 
you are still in his school. You never outgrow learning those lessons. And Jacob is about to, to step into the schoolhouse of the Lord. He's about to meet his match in Laban. Look at verse 13 with me. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. He embraced him. He kissed him and he brought him to his house. Now to go back to Genesis 24 again, when the servant showed up at the well there and it it was news that the servant was there. Laban showed up on the scene as soon as he heard that servant had gold bracelets and gold earrings. In fact, if you go back and look at 24, as soon as material goods shows up, Laban's around. And you have to think Laban's pretty disappointed here in 29 because Jacob doesn't have a thing. He comes running and he's got nothing for him. But that doesn't mean Jacob can't get something out of him. Verse 14, Laban said to him, surely you are, and listen to this phrase, it echoes Genesis chapter 2, surely you are bone, you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. So a couple details here. There's a sense in which he reaches back to Genesis 2 when God creates Eve and Adam's there and he's like, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We're, we're alike. That's what's going on in Genesis 2. Well, Moses picks that language back up, has it right here, so that when Laban meets Jacob, they're like, hey, hey, we're alike. <laughs> in other words, Jacob, Mr. Deceiver, I want you to meet Mr. Deceiver 2.0. This is the better deceiving version of what you want to be. I have generated somebody like you. And it doesn't take Laban long. He's already starting to trick him. Look at verse 15. Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore, and look at this word, serve me. It's going to come up multiple other times in the chapter, but it's starting to give this idea of, of this lowly labor contract he's going to put him in. He said, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Look how slick this guy is, right? I don't want you to serve me for nothing. He said, tell me what your wages shall be. Now, Jacob is about to enter a dark night of slavery. Laban has that in mind. And this is veiled in this, hey, your family, let me figure out how I can put you to work. This is not a family contract. He's not being nice. He's like, let, let me see if I can get you indebted to me. And then what's going to be the cost? So the verse 16, we're introduced to Laban's two daughters. Look at it with me. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form. Now, now we're introduced here to these two feuding sisters. Now, Jacob knows about feuding siblings, does he not? Right? That's what he did with his brother. Now, Rachel, her name means lamb. It's a nice, cute, wonderful name. Leah's means cow. Now, just keep going. Uh, <laughs> verse 17, it says, Leah's eyes were weak. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this means. 
it, it means that they were soft. Uh, they weren't, they didn't catch your eye. They were bland. And in some ways, beauty at this time would have been these fire in her eyes, these beautiful eyes. And you get the contrast, right? Rachel's beautiful. Leah has weak eyes, right? That's not what you want to be said of you, right? And, and so then verse 18, naturally, what is Jacob going to do? Jacob loved Rachel. He said, I will serve you seven years. And he picks his, his contract. He said, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So here Jacob engages in a contract. I'll work for seven years for Rachel. Now, this isn't the first time Jacob's been in a contract, is it not? He entered in a contract for a bowl of stew and a birthright with his brother. He said, I'll give you this bowl of stew, red stew, if you'll give me your birthright. The difference here in this contract is that the last one, Jacob was the deceiver. This time, Jacob is the one being deceived. Listen how shifty Laban is. Verse 19. Laban said, it is better that I give And notice here, he doesn't give Rachel's name. He says, I give her to you, then I should give her to any man, so stay with me. So so in Laban's mind, he's already making the shift. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. That's what Jacob thought he was serving for. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. What a tragedy this was going to hurt. This is going to make me a real heartbreak for Jacob. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Notice how he doesn't name her here again. The deception starting to happen, the flip. And Laban doesn't want to give her up. Jacob's got to go ask for her. He he doesn't want this to happen. So he says, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. I've done my seven years. I'm ready to marry Rachel. But the Bible doesn't elude what's going on in the background here, but this is where Laban has to go into full speed deception. We knew a few chapters before when Jacob was going to deceive his dad, he got the Esau costume together and all of his stuff ready and went in to deceive his dad. We don't know the full details here. We do know that he, Laban created a feast which would have probably involved alcohol, which would have dulled Jacob's senses. He also, when you're married, you would have had a veil over your face. So there, Leah would have been covered by a veil and you would not have been able to see her weak eyes. And then it's night. By the time they meet on their marriage night, can't see. So here he is, inebriated, with a veil over her face, and it's night. But even beyond that, he probably had to detain Rachel And Leah had to agree to this plan. So all that's gone on. Jacob goes to bed believing he's with Rachel. Verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Jacob went to bed with Rachel, woke up with Leah. He's surprised now. Right? This isn't the woman I thought. He's been (laughs) tricked. Right? Well, look what happens here. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Listen to this phrase. 
Why then have you deceived me? Now let me take that phrase and let me echo it through the book of Genesis. Just go back a couple of chapters before where Jacob has dressed up like his brother, lied to his father, ruined his family. And when it's all said and done, his father says this, verse 20, chapter 27, verse 35. But he said, your brother came, and hear the phrase here, deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. It's funny here how the Lord pulled Jacob out of his family, took him up to this foreign land, and put him right through the very thing that he did to his own family. The trickster has now been tricked. The Lord has brought a giant mirror named Laban into the life of Jacob to say, let me show you what it's like to be on the other side of your ways. In fact, uh, he'll spend another seven years waiting on Rachel. He has to wait another seven years on this scenario. And somebody, one commentator said it like this. He said, he said uh, it's as if the undergraduate degree was not enough for Jacob. He needed a master's and a doctorate in order to understand exactly how bad his sin was. Some of me and you, we need a master's and a doctorate before we're going to learn just how bad our sin is. Our skulls are so thick, sometimes it takes God dragging us through those seasons. And the Lord often, that's why I believe you need to kind of open up your eyes today, the Lord often uses other people that are just like us to show us just how bad our sin is. He uses people to identify in our lives the cost of what, of what we've done. In, in the area of pride, C.S. Lewis points out this truth. He says it this way, the more pride that one has, the more one, is, the more one dislikes pride in others. Let me say that again. The more pride that one has, the more one dislikes pride in others. He says, in fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or patronize me or even show off? Here's what he says. The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It's because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed that someone else is the big noise. Two of the same trade never agree. How much does other people's pride bother your pride? I believe it's possible that the Lord has brought a Laban in your life to identify the sin that you've held for so long. You're still in the school of sanctification. Whether it's someone's pride, their deception, their slander, their lies, whatever struggle you have, the Lord has brought this person in your life to show it to you. You know, I've found over the years that it's always a lot of fun when you prank someone. I really enjoy being on the side of pranking someone. But you know what's not fun? 
being the one pranked, right? When you're on the other side of whatever has been concocted to make a fool out of you, it feels a little bit different. And for Jacob, tricking everyone has been only to his advantage, but now he understands the cost of the way he is acting because the Lord has brought the giant mirror in his life in the form of Laban himself. This is where I quoted Kent Hughes earlier. Sometimes that angel ladder from God himself, sometimes it's there to exalt you and to lift you up. But you know what sometimes that angel ladder is there to do? To discipline you. It's there to teach you and to show you things about yourself. And in this moment, this angel ladder shows up in the form of Laban to show Jacob just who he is. But there's one more person I want to point you to in this story, one other person who has to endure suffering, and it's Leah. Here's the third thing I want you to see, is remember today that the Lord never forgets. He doesn't forget you. Sometimes it's easy in suffering and tragedy to start to think that the Lord has forgotten you, that somehow he's not aware of where you're at. In many ways, after seven years, here Jacob finds himself married to both Rachel and Leah. We'll deal with some of that dynamic and sinful consequences of that decision later. But we find that, that these two women are both barren. Neither one of them can have children. Look at verse 31 with me. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened her womb. So her womb wasn't open, it was closed. But Rachel was barren. So both were barren. And in this moment, God chose to open the womb of Leah. Now, just to pause here, if you're a young couple here and you desire to have children and for whatever reason the Lord has closed your womb, I believe there are multiple avenues you might can take to figure out how to have children. But I would tell you the primary way I would encourage you to take out off that route is to pray and ask the Lord to open your womb. You see it here in scriptures. He opens the womb of Leah. And in this moment, He sees her. Look back at the text one more time. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. The Lord saw her. When when nobody else seemed to be watching Leah, the Lord saw her. When even the eyes of Jacob would look away and not give her any attention, the Lord was looking at Leah. In fact, this is the Lord's grace on her, and we see it through her four children. I'll just walk through their names fairly quickly here. Look there in verse 32. The first is Reuben. It says, Leah conceived and she bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. And listen to how sad this name is. For now my husband will love me. How sad is it that she would name her children after the affliction that is caused through Jacob? But she's not done. Verse 33, she conceived again and she bore a son and she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. I mean, 
tragic names of these children. The third one may be the worst. Again, she conceived and she bore a son and she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Man, she's just hoping because I have borne him three children or three sons. Therefore, his name would be called Levi. If you hear this right now, these are the 12 tribes of Israel starting to come out. Even after three kids, poor Leah, this weak-eyed woman that was not wanted suffering. I don't know if you find yourself in this boat today where you feel unwanted. You feel as if nobody's watching, nobody's looking. But I want to encourage you today, the Lord sees. He is able to see where you're at, and we see it in the grace of the fourth son. Look at verse 35. It says she conceived again and she bore a son. And listen to her phrase now. She's not looking at her boys and her husband anymore. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Finally with Judah, she says, this time with this son, I will praise the Lord. But what Leah doesn't know is that the Lord's at work through this fourth son. Fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible and the end of time. Revelation chapter 5 describes this dramatic moment in which there's a scroll to be opened. And nobody is found worthy to open this scroll. Let me read the verse to you. John says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Nobody is worthy here. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, he says, weep no more. Behold, listen to the phrase here. The lion of the tribe of who? Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. (laughs) Leah, who felt unworthy and was unwanted, would birth the son to whom the Son of God would come from, the ultimate worthy one. Tim Keller, when he sees this passage, he said, he called her the girl that nobody wanted who gave us the man that nobody wanted, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you today, if you sit here, you feel unloved, unwanted, unseen, God sees you. Sees you right where you're at. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means when Jesus died, he didn't die for you for the perfect Sunday morning version of you. He died for the ugliest sinful part of you. He loved you while you were still a sinner. That's when he loved you. You are seen by him today and he loves you today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace that meets us. We thank you for the worthiness of Christ, the hope we have, and the fact that you see us right now where we're at. Lord, I pray if there's those here that struggle right now, they feel unseen, unheard, and alone, that they might look to the cross of Christ 
and know that you see. Lord, I pray for those of us here that are still in the school of sanctification. And Lord, we've been fighting and frustrated because you brought a a Laban in our life. But Lord, I pray for those here today, Lord, that they can see that that is a grace of yours, that you are helping us to grow in ways we'd have never seen. Lord, help us to rely on your power. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.